Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Podcast, where we interview people from inside and outside recruitment to give you ideas to help you on your way to a million pound year. Now, over to Adrian Mansfield, the Million Pound Biller. Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Podcast, where we interview luminaries from inside and outside the world of recruitment. Today, we're joined by just such a luminary. Dave Lewis, who's been in the recruitment market for over 20 years and been in training and coaching for the last 18 of those. And he shares with us today some of his thoughts and ideas from the last 12 months and his career in recruitment and recruitment training. He has some really good ideas on how to go forward in recruitment and how to get the best out of coaching and training. And I'm sure it'll be a great listen for those of you out there. Today, we're joined by Dave Lewis, who is the Director of Enabling Change. So Dave, if you could just give us a quick uh, overview of your background and send us a bit of an idea of what your career has been in recruitment up to date. Yeah, no problem. Well, but, uh, as per 99% of recruitment professionals, I fell into recruitment 21 years ago <laughs> now, initially working as a consultant and running a, a commercial desk for, for Reed down in Bristol, then as a trainer for them, then running their business call out in the Cotswolds. And then for the last 16 years, I've been a trainer for enabling change in essence, and have been training businesses and, and recruiters primarily in the UK, occasionally further afield. So the last time I think I saw you was in, I think was in a restaurant in Bangalore somewhere. Yeah, we did, 12, didn't we? we eight, did. eight, nine years ago, maybe? Yeah. I, I dragged, cafe, I think it might have been. Yeah, I dragged you, I dragged you over to tra- train my team of in, in recruiters in, in Bangalore that I was running at the time. Pr- yeah, prim- well, primarily through training, have been trying to help recruiters make more money, do more deals, um, help their clients and candidates out more. So that's been what I've been up to for the best part now of two decades. Wow. And in terms of the last sort of period, obviously with lockdown and things like that, it's obviously been a bit of a, a strain on most people in the recruitment space, particularly in the sort of first six months last year. And I noticed you did a few things in terms of like recruiter lunches and things like that, just to get people, the peer groups talking together and if you like a, a space for people to come and share thoughts, ideas. But um, I mean, how has it from your point of view, from talking to the, the people you've trained and the training that you're developing, how has the last 12 months been for the market from your side of things? It's, it's a really tricky one to answer with any accuracy, simply because as you're well aware, the recruitment industry is now so big and cross sector that anything you say by definition is going to be a bit of a sweeping generalization. But yeah. In sweeping generalisation, it's been tough, Adrian. It's usually <laughs> unsurprisingly, it has been tough. And it's been, it's, it's certainly been the toughest 12 months I remember across those 20 years. There's, there were a lot of people initially sort of making comparisons with the great financial crash. You know, we've been through this before. Yeah. It, well, we've been through financial crash and recession, but the last recession, you know, the pubs weren't closed and you weren't forced to stay at home. This is, this is something that's, that's very different. And, and one of the, um, particularly in the UK, I think one of the, the really telling elements of it, or one of the distinct elements of it, has been quite how dynamic things have been in the sense that, you know, things are locked down, things open up, you get some optimism, we're back to square one a little bit. And again, it makes it tougher to generalise where the market sits because it, it shifts so much. Having said all that, yes, it's been tough. I do think there's a real, uh, particularly maybe the last quarter, there's been a real challenge in the market because, frankly, it's been really, really candidate poor, which you might not expect when you see the unemployment figures and you read the news. But to my mind, in a lot of professional sectors, at least, there's been a massive distinction between applicants, where there's frankly plenty of them, and candidates where they're really poor. And I've got a bit of a beef about it because I think a lot of recruiters interchangeably use that rhetoric of applicants and candidates. Mm. And when they interchangeably use that rhetoric when they're talking to clients, 
it further confuses clients because clients end up thinking your job's easy. We pay bottom dollar. We need loads of people tomorrow. There's loads of applicants out there. You keep banging on about the fact there's loads of candidates and it, it confuses the issue. So yeah, short story, tough to generalize, slightly longer story, very, very dynamic with, with real pressures on candidate side. And, and obviously job levels are not where we'd like them to be. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say about the candidate piece. I mean, I absolutely agree with that, 100%. I mean, I, and I agree with the point about your generalisation. In fact, I agree with everything you said there. But, the, but the, you made the comment to me when we were speaking previously about the podcast, this this idea, because I've had that comment. I've made that comment myself about the fact that this is just another recession. Or this has, I've been through recessions before. But you're right, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I don't think anybody that's working today has gone through anything like this. I mean, the, on, the only obvious one that even remotely kind of comes close to it, I don't want to make the analogy, but is World War II, I suppose, which was, what? 60 plus years ago now. So, so, yeah, exactly. So, nobody (laughs) working today today has even remotely come close. But I think, in terms of the candidate pool thing, it's interesting because having been in the UAE and having been over there for three or four years, one of the things I actually liked over there was that was the candidate client discussion was, was much more the client understood the problems, if you like. And I think the UK market, we don't seem to do very well at negotiating, telling people the process and seeing because in the UAE, for example, if we put an advert out for a role, we would get inundated. And the client would, you know, you put an advert out because the UAE is particularly from a, where it is in the world point of view, you get a lot of people wanting to come from the subcontinent from Asia and places like that to come and work there. And there are lots of people already there that are looking. Um, so you put an advert out and you'll get, you know, you can at times get five, 6,000 people applying to a job. It's just crazy numbers. And of those, maybe three or four of them are actually useful. And that's, you know, a big client will be doing that every day of the week. They'll be putting adverts out and they'll just get inundated with them. And I suspect that's kind of what's been happening in the UK a little bit over the last 12 months is that people are just desperate they want to get a job they want to get into back into work which i understand absolutely and there's nothing wrong in that you know and it's and again it's so difficult not to generalize hugely because there there are other there are obviously sectors where they're advertising and not much coming in but at general rule of thumb yeah you're seeing more more applicants there's another couple of interesting dynamics off the back of that i think because you you you've got a challenge almost then as a recruiter in terms of what value you're going to add. Mm. And to my mind, there's sort of two broad options where you either say to the client, like if take your example of that ad in the UAE, listen, you're putting the ad out, you're getting 6,000 responses, you know only three or four of them are going to be half decent. Who's better off filtering through the CVs and going through the response and doing the legwork, me, me or you? Mm. And to sell your value in that way, which is perfectly is perfectly feasible. But, but it, it almost then sells recruitment as an administrative service. Yeah. There's a pile of 6,000 CVs. I'll get them <laughs> down to four and, and you see them, which, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. But I think there's another option, which is to say, listen, you and I both know there's loads of applicants in the market. You've probably seen them and you've decided not to hire. As a recruiter, one of the values that, that I can offer to you is I can go and get candidates who are never going to reply to that advert because they're in situ. They're happy where they are. There's massive uncertainty in the market. But if you put together the brief properly, I can go and attract them and get you people you're not going to see elsewhere. And as, as a final quick point, I was talking with chatting to a recruiter a couple of weeks ago, and I, I thought it was a slightly sad, but but also understandable, or at least uh, understandably in the sense you could understand where clients were coming from, point you made where he said, with, with some of my clients, they're, they're slightly wary of hiring applicants, particularly those who are kind of on the market and frankly have been made redundant or, or, or out of work. And, and he reckoned that wariness came from seeing them as a, a bit of a flight risk six to 12 months down the line when mm. you know that people are desperate and need to pay the bills at the moment and he reckoned with some of his clients there's a fear that if we take somebody on like that right now 
yes, they might be grateful to get some out of a hole, but six months later, when the job they really want comes up, are they going to bugger off and leave us? So there's all sorts of, you know, there's always done. Yeah. Recruitment's never easy, is it, Adrian? No. <laughs> We've sort of been around the block long enough to know there's no such thing as an easy market. Yeah. But I've never seen anything like this. And it's that tough at both ends, you know, where it's applicant-rich, candidate-poor, and candidates yeah. really uncertain and don't want to move. Yeah. And clients, even when, the, you know, the hires and, and the vacancies are coming back into the market, their perception, at least, is the recruiter's job is easy, going to pay your bottom dollar and want immediate results. So yeah. uh, in a roundabout way, that beat you said about, the, the recruiter actually telling the client, listen, this is what it's like. Here's mm. where the market is. It's key critical. Yeah. But you've got an awful lot of recruiters who are used to recruiting and filling jobs, but don't necessarily do, uh, you know, don't necessarily always have a track record mm. of doing the consultancy bit of the job and saying, Mr. Client, listen, here's where we are right now. Here's where life is. Here's where I add some value. Here's why what you're looking for is not going to happen or it's just impossible. And that, you know, it's not complex stuff, but that kind of consultancy to my mind is, is a start point to at least driving a conversation and trying to get a client to be a bit more amenable and understanding and to make their role more attractive, you know, to make Absolutely. sure there's some good sales tools there. Yeah, I mean, that's one of my big beliefs is that, you you know, we use the word consultant in our name. We should be using that consultancy piece as part of our, our sale and our discussions with our clients. You know, you're I'm an expert at finding the people you need in the market space that we're operating in. And I'm going to tell you why the problems are in the market at the moment and what I can do to help you solve those. And if you're doing that properly, that's where you can you add value to a client. And if you're adding value to a client, then that's where the relationship build and develop and you grow the, the long-term value, value proposition that builds your business, i.e. the recruiter's business, and helps the client at the end of the day. So You bet. And I mean, it's done, and again, always been the case, hasn't it? And it, you know, it's absolutely always been the case. But I, I, I suspect what's happened to an extent is that the last few years, you know, prior to the crisis, it didn't certainly in the UK. It didn't feel like a booming market. Mm. Then, in hindsight, you think a couple of years ago, and all we were worried about was Brexit. You know, <laughs> give me that any day. Yeah. Uh, I suspect an awful lot of recruiters were doing a lot of the recruiting part and getting away with it, mm. and not having to do much consultancy. And I think that's flipped right round now, where the consultancy piece is absolutely imperative. And unless you're doing that, you're probably not getting the opportunity to recruit or to recruit on anything that is is even vaguely attractive to you or potentially to genuine candidate base of people who are in work and happy where they are. So um, no, and and as, as a quick aside, linked to that as well, I want to say you know it's always been the case you know, for twenty years, been saying be be more consultative. Here's how we do it. Here's what we ask about. I, I do think there's some of those real because recruitment hasn't changed overnight. The fundamentals haven't changed overnight, but some of those fundamentals seem to be hitting home a bit more. Yeah. So for two decades, been banging on about being empathetic, and it seems like <laughs> in the last twelve months, people sort of get it, starting to see each other as as equals and I, I think there's some real pluses of that as long as it endures you know yeah no absolutely absolutely it's interesting you, you're saying about that because we talked about before about that idea of a, a list of things that you're delivering for a client and actually going through that and telling me what i'm going to do for you when you give me a job these are the steps i'm going to take that process through to get you to the point where you're going to get the people at the end of it and i think we don't give that information out you know that that conversation where you go the client goes i need one of these and you go oh brilliant mr client no problem at all thank you very much you put the phone down and go i'm going to crack on with the role how is the client expected to not know that you're just going to go brilliant i've just got three of these on my desk i'll file them back to them tomorrow it's you haven't given any kind of picture of what how the work's going to come through what the process is going to be all those sort of things which it's just part of our job we don't sell it to people we don't tell people about what we do, what we're going to do once that phone goes down and we go brilliant right now let's what we get on with Completely agree. And two dynamics at play there, I've, I've frequently said over the years, and it's still very much the case, 
almost I love my job I enjoy dealing with recruiters are good fun if I'd be bored out of my mind if I didn't enjoy working with recruiters yeah but one of the saddest parts of my job is the number of recruits I train who don't really value what they do yeah value recruitment they see it as oh it's bums on seats we just fill vacancies and if if they don't value it how the hell are they meant to convey that value to 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 a client or, or, or to a candidate you know to anyone in the market and then that that dynamic you just described where and it's still happen, it's happening in this market because one of the things I think we we all do is we we often underestimate the quality of our, our own knowledge and recruiters are really guilty of that. So I think it's very often the case where on the phone or over the Zoom call or whatever, when the recruiter is taking the brief, they know it ain't great. They know there's problems with it. They know they're not paying enough. They know it's not attractive enough. They know it's too narrow. But instead of actually having that conversation there and then, yeah. there's a tendency still to say. Okay, leave it with me and I'll send you some CVs. And then they put the phone down and turn to their manager and say, I've just picked up another job with that client and they're not paying enough. They will tell the clients, <laughs> tell the cl- give them yeah, the chance absolutely. to change yeah. it. And it's, yeah. it, it would almost irritate me less if I thought they didn't clock it. They do clock it. Yeah. They clock, they're not, you know, they're, they're yeah. sharp people. They know the market brilliantly well. Yeah. But there's, the, you know, the old saying, knowledge is power. And, and yeah. that's always. It's always irritating me a bit because knowledge yeah. is useless and, unless you apply it intelligently. Absolutely. I think the knowledge is often there. The application is the bit that's sometimes missing because yeah. that that demands a bit of courage, Adrian. It demands well, saying to people yeah. who've been around the block and a senior and know the school, listen, I, I see where you came from, but you're wrong. And I yeah. can tell you why. You know? yeah. And, and that, that, that's tough. Yeah, it's that value, value mark you put on your own head that allows you to go back to a client and say, no, sorry, you're never going to find somebody like that just about salary or anything like that there are probably other bits and pieces which you need to work with the client on 100 percent, and it's it's getting those sales tools to appeal to those that the, the curious you know mm. the people who are not necessarily in the market and applying left right and center mm. but could move the right opportunity so it's finding them yeah. and the findings not as uh, that that is an area which i don't think is as difficult as it used to be because the visibility mm. of candidates is is straightforward Absolutely. but the yeah. engagement and the attraction is 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 really tricky particularly if the client's view is your job's easy just go and get me some people and so that yeah. that education piece for them because that's not the client's fault yeah if you're engaged with the recruitment consultant it's because you know you you don't trust yourself you don't know well enough yourself how to run a recruitment process so that that recruiter should be advising you to say listen i'm, I'm not just going to get your cvs yeah. I'm going to find you two or three candidates, but to get them, here's what we need. Current market, mm. you know, some of the things you're telling me about, great, 18 months ago, they'd have helped you to secure people. The world's changed. Yeah. So here's what's attractive right now. And it's that grown-up conversation. As a as a quick uh, linked point, years ago, I did some work with a, a recruiter who trained as a, a psychologist. And w- whenever I tell people, you know, you meet new people and say, what do you do? And they say, I train recruiters. You get a lot of sympathy. It's <laughs> like, oh, God, those pushy face, cocky. Uh, and I've got to tell you, my, my experience over 20 years, frankly, I actually train a real minority of recruiters who are these kind of aggressive, in-your-face, cliche, pushy people. But an awful lot of people are actually quite submissive and subservient. And if this psychologist I trained, you could see like the penny dropper there, which said, oh, I've got it. We sort of did this in psychology. There's like a spectrum where you've got submissive and subservient behavior, you've got aggressive behavior at the other end of that spectrum, and then bang in the middle is assertiveness. Mm. And so to my mind, a good consultant has got to be assertive. A lot of the people I I meet, frankly, and they're not aggressive, they're not Mm. cocky, they're submissive and subservient. But the danger or the challenge sometimes is what is actually assertive, good quality, peer-to-peer, grown-up conversation. If you're a bit submissive, if you put people on a pedestal, I think people see that as being aggressive. Yeah, no, <laughs> Do you see yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yeah, so yeah. the ability to actually say to a client, listen, I, I can see where you're coming from, but I, 
I don't agree, and here's why. I think people are uncomfortable with. Say, yeah. oh God, I, I couldn't tell them that. That's telling them how to do their job. Yeah. No, it's not. They come to you because you're a recruitment professional. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It's it's your that is fundamentally, that is literally your job if you are a consultant. But I found that idea of giving them almost a statement of work. If you're starting out in recruitment and you're you're in your early days and you're kind of like, well, I, how do I have that conversation? You almost have a, a list of things that you go sit on your desk in the morning and just go, right, okay, to find a person for this job, I'm going to need to have do all these different steps. And there's two of your own desk, those that are listening to the podcast, but you probably find between 10 and 20 steps on a process in recruitment that you're going to need to find somebody in that desk. And then just go through that with the client and say, well, actually, once I take this job, I'm going to do all these 10 steps. And this is what I'm going to do to get you the person you need for this job. And if you've got that step in front of you, it almost gives you a, a process to talk through with the client. If, you, if you're lacking in that confidence to be assertive, you can almost take that as a kind of crutch and say, right, okay, Mr. Client, thank you very much for that information. Here's why I'm going to go with that now and what I'm going to do with that now. And it also gives you, frankly, a bit of the backside pieces that you then go, they go, well, actually, we don't want to pay you for it. You go, okay, well, fine. I talked to you about my statement of work that was 10 or 12 points long. Which of those That's 12 are you willing to do? Which do you want me not to do? There's a li- lovely little um, underused phrase, uh, not just in recruitment, but more broadly, which is, here's how I work. Yeah. And, and I think in, in those kind of, com- you know, here's how I work, not only to give an opportunity to sell and demonstrate your value and slip in, you know, to demonstrate how hard you have to work, but, but also think that creates surety where the other party is thinking, oh, okay, good, I, c- I can trust this guy because there's a process, there's a model, there's, there's, there's what they do. And I, I, I think that's a really good tip as well, Adrian, to kind of break down what you do, because it, it will help as an individual, it'll help drive the value. Because it's not the case that you just, no recruiter just picks up a brief and suddenly magics up three candidates who get the job within an hour or two. Yeah. There's some work involved in this. There's a hell of a lot of work involved in it. And, uh, you know, some of that process will, uh, to my mind at least, should be a bit bespoke and a bit tailored. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when it comes to... Um, sort of things like fee negotiation, which in reality for a lot of recruiters is discounting rather than negotiating. Yeah, yeah. You've got your statement of works to, to use your phrase to say, listen, here's what I charge, here's what you get. Yeah, we can we can talk about doing a cheaper deal. I'll match the service of the other party. I'll match the price, but it means I'm not going to do this, 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 and this. Mm. And you're probably not going to get the right guy. What do you want to do? It at least gives you a start point. So, uh, yeah. so no, I, I think that's a really good tip, Adrian. I mean, I get the impression a little bit from looking at it from my position in terms of the, the market at the moment and talking to other recruitment consultants in the space that we seem to have lost a little bit of the art of the business development process, if you like, whether that's just not had to do it for a long time because people have been been able to get vacancies without having that problem of sort of the, the current climate we're in. And whilst we're not in a recession that looks back to the previous one, we are in a recession and it's, it is a tough market at the moment. So the art of business development is becoming more and more crucial to getting into those clients, talking to them about what they need and getting, I suppose, good vacancies out at the end of it rather than just going, because anybody, frankly, could pick up a phone and go, give me a vacancy and get nothing out of it, because it's just a, it's the one they give to everybody just to palm them off. So getting good business development out and getting good vacancies out. What's your views on that? Well, good vacancies and good clients, you yeah. know, they, 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 they yeah. go hand in hand. And it's another, it's another real bugbear. I spend so much of my life listening to recruiters moan about their clients. And then when you suggest, well, get, get some different ones, then, oh, no, I couldn't do that, mate, because that would involve going out and doing some BD and doing some legwork and doing some sales. And I don't really fancy that. And you scratch beneath the surface of an awful lot of recruiters. Some are brilliant at BD. They're brilliant at sales, whatever badge we want to put to it. For a lot, it's not a part of the job that they're naturally kind of enthused by. Mm. So the danger to my mind or the mindset that, that you tend to adopt is, well, I'll just unquestionably work on this job, which I don't really like with a client that nobody wants to work with because I can make myself look busy rather than actually 
go to the market and expose myself to some degree of rejection, uh, quite mm. frankly. Now, particularly over the last 12 months, unsurprisingly, as, as things have tightened, working with a lot of firms where it's kind of been all hands to the pump. And I, I like that point you made there that some people have just not done it for a while. So I've been talking, been talking to recruiters who've been doing the job 20, 30 years and, and more, where they've had a brilliant success rate with business development and cold calling and self, whatever badge we put to it mm. at some point in the past. But if you've not had to do it for a little while because you've been servicing accounts and doing all right through it, and those yeah. accounts have tidied you over, I'm not, not being critical of that. It is one of those activities where I think it's difficult to kind of get back on the horse. You know, there's, yeah. there, there's a confidence issue far more than there is a skill set issue there. And then you get a contraction like we've had, 30-odd thousand recruitment businesses in the UK or whatever it is at the moment. And the danger is everyone suddenly jumps on the BD bandwagon and everyone's <laughs> just creating the same noise. Yeah. So it's always been, hasn't it, a really vital part of a like a 360 recruiter's toolkit. What One of the bits that's interesting me, I suppose, the most, and uh, being an eye-opener to me for the last 12 months, is just how many channels there are now to, you know, to use to, to do BD effectively. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't buy the idea that, like, cold calling is dead, but being mono-channel, just relying on a single channel, not necessarily dead, it's just not effective. Yeah. So if you're just relying on the phone, it's probably not very effective. Just rely on emailing CVs across the candidates, it's not very effective. Just rely on your LinkedIn brand for argument's sake, it's probably not very effective because you can't control it 100%. But being multi-channel, genuinely multi-channel to my mind, is 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 where the real value lies at the moment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I first started out in recruitment, I think there was a piece I read at the time, it was something like, you need a I think it was, I can't remember the exact number, but a number, let's say between eight and 12 touch points, general sales analogies, that that's how many times you need to sort of talk to somebody to build that reputation and that rapport with somebody to enable them to kind of come. Because people buy people they like generally, at least in terms of consistent sales. So building that rapport with those people was usually eight to 12. Well, back in the day when you didn't have LinkedIn, you didn't have Instagram, you didn't have videos, you didn't have ability to get out to people with various different methods. That was basically a cold call or a call, emails, and that was it really. Now you've got all these different methods to touch to people, to get that reputation, build that, that network and build that contact pool. So I think actually think the opportunity is there now for people. And it's interesting when you're talking about that lost art. You know, I know of people that have been in the market for you know decades like I have, who've, who've got grown, build and built businesses, but they've got those, those relationships. But now because those companies are in a certain sectors, aerospace or whatever that's been really badly hit, hospitality perhaps, they're suddenly sitting there going, ah, okay, how did I do it? five years ago how did they do it six years ago how did they do it 10 years ago and there's just not that experience set in the market as much anymore the thing is they'll still they'll have the sales skills they'll mm. have the bd skills but it's the awareness of the, the different channels that, that yeah. are out there and it's not complex there's just a danger that it becomes a bit intimidating and I, i'll make you right you know 10 12 15 years ago a lot of it is phone or email yeah and if we if we work with Eight to twelve. It's interesting. You see memes crop up where you know no one buys until the seventh content. And you yeah. wonder where these have come from. But there's a general truism: you, you, the one call close days are not entirely gone, but it's a real rarity. That's yeah. that, that's for sure. And whereas going back ten years ago, those eight contacts, ten contacts, probably phone driven in the mm. main, which is where we get all the negative stigma around cold calling that kind of thing. Mm. You, you could do eight or ten contacts with eight to ten different channels if you wanted, and it the thing that makes that attractive to me is it keeps the persistence there mm. but i think if you're using lots of different channels it's less likely to come across as being a pest yeah whereas if i get um i remember a firm probably about 18 months ago was kind of cold calling me and they probably put in it was probably no more than three or four cold calls over about a three-month period but i felt like i was being stalked it felt invasive. Yeah. 
Whereas if it had been three or four contact over a week, but one's an email, one's a DM on LinkedIn, one's a video contact, one's a phone call, it's less invasive, but you're still getting through your mm. touch points. Yeah, and, yeah. and one other thing I'll chuck in on this, you're a senior person in recruitment in your own business. You're, you're somebody who I, as a recruiter, might want to put a cold call into potentially. Yeah. How many cold calls have you had from recruiters in the last 12 months? Not very many at all. I get a personal, I've got a personal vendetta at the moment about LinkedIn sales stuff. So that seems to be the only, the only route I get at the moment. So this is the kind of the lead generation people or just anybody generally in recruitment that feels like they want to sell to a recruitment leader at the moment. You get, you get a LinkedIn request to join, connect them. And, you know, I don't mind. I, I'm pretty much open to connecting with most people, to be honest, on LinkedIn. But you get these connection requests. You get a connection request. You accept that connection request. And almost immediately after you press connect and accept, you get a, an email about a mile long that tells you all about why they're the greatest company in the world and what they're going to be able to do for you and how they're going to be able to sell you the business. I'm just like, A, how do you know that I want X service and how B, how am I supposed to wade through all this when I don't know who you I just does my head and then you get and then five minutes later you'll get or not five minutes but you know a day or two later you'll get a, did you happen to see my email the other day and then right. three three hours later you'll get a, oh, I haven't heard any response from you and it just seems to be kind of I know it's automated so it's not the individuals necessarily doing it but it's just you're just like how is that business development frankly <laughs> I, I, I wish this weren't a pod because I'd love to I'd love for people to see how irritated you're getting there <laughs> yeah. but 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 there's this big gap between the perception and the reality. Because yeah. if you talk to recruiters about picking up the phone, oh, no, everyone does it. People get really irritated by it. It's really, really invasive. And I'm not denying that on occasion it's got potential to be. Of course it does. You know, any of these can be invasive if you use them inappropriately. But I can count on two hands, you know, I'm director of a business. And my mobile number's on my LinkedIn profile. Mm. I've, I've probably had about, I've, no, I've certainly had no more than 10 cold calls from anybody mm. in the last 12 months. And I think the perception is, well, we can't do that because everyone does it. In mm. reality, you know, that part of the value of using different channels, find the one that's sort of got a bit of novelty value to it because people are more likely to be receptive and at least access your message. Yeah. Whereas everyone's jumping on like LinkedIn DMs and, and automation. Yeah. I think the danger is all the noise is there and people, it's like mm. 20 years ago of, hi, I'm a recruiter. Have you got any job? No, bye. Yeah. The, the equivalent now is the sloppy DM. Yeah. And, you know, hello, Mr. Mansfield. Yeah. I've read your profile with great interest. How are yeah. you and your family at this difficult time? <laughs> Let me tell you more about me. <laughs> you know, it's just the bit that really irritates me about that, in truth, is not the channel that they use. Mm. It's just how bad the selling is. Yeah. I mean, that's it. The point is multi-channel marketing works, the ability to build those relationships. And one of my big beliefs in this is that it's, there needs to be more work up front in the business development cycle. So I've just, the podcast that's going out this week is about business and how I do my business development. Because I, frankly, I hate cold calling. And, and by that, I mean, I don't like the idea of taking a list of people and going, right, I'm going to call, I'm going to spend all morning this morning just calling these individuals and see if I can get some work off them. But you can do it properly. You just need to put some time in the first instance. You need to use the multi-channels that are available to you, get some information, get some reason to make the call. And I think in the current climate, as you say, because people are being bombarded by other methods, if you give somebody a, a reasoned call and phone up somebody at whatever level and say, look, this is the reason for why I'm calling you. I know you need X, or I know that you've got a shortage of these particular skill sets, or I know you're bidding on this project and therefore you're going to potentially need, come at it like a consultant, come at it with some information and then say, look, this is why I think you've got, I've got either a perfect candidate for you, I've got some reason that I'm calling you because we've done something similar, or whatever it might be, there's a reason for your call to the individual to give them something to back off against. Now, you're not going to win every time, but I guarantee you that's a better sales business 100%. development route than just saying, how you got any jobs? And it's, but there's a Four couple of things thereof. in that for me. 
there's there's doing the prep properly there's mm. using the, the sort of one-way channels whether it's voice notes direct messaging um email or whatever else using that to make things a little bit warmer and particularly at the minute you know you know i, I didn't use zoom 12 months ago but that changes the game for me because it makes it much easier to schedule things yeah. uh, and using those kind of one-way channels to maybe schedule a two-way conversation on the phone or zoom or whatever where you can actually properly build rapport have a chat and to my mind do some more effective selling but then the, the other bit that i think is and it's always been hugely important it's just been easier perhaps in the past is not just have an objective you know give me a job it's too blunt and too self-serving yeah. uh, i'm not actually a big fan of the words because it, it sounds fluffy <laughs> yeah. but to have some value that you can offer to them and yeah. in in different you know going back two years ago five years ago ten years ago a recruiter typically would feel more comfortable with a cold email or a cold call or whatever if they maybe had a candidate spec across because mm. they feel more comfortable because i've at least got that's something which you might be i've got a product to sell yeah. i'm not just going to call you and say have you got something for me i'm going to say here's something i've got for mm. you the, the last 12 months i think the challenge has been when there's perhaps fewer jobs in the market there's a surfeit of, of applicants just pitching cvs and candidates mm. is not as valuable in many markets as it used to be so finding kind of other excuses do, do, do you know what i mean yeah. whether it's benchmarking or gossip or just flattery, going back to those DMs. If the DM starts with, how are you and your family at this difficult time? I'm deleting it. If it starts with, I just read your post on X and I really liked it, I'm in because I've got yeah. an ego. But yeah. if there's something with a little bit of value to the other party, it, it yeah. makes a difference, not just in how they perceive it, but I think it makes the, the recruiter, if you like, feel a bit more comfortable, confident to actually yeah. write the email, get on the phone, send the DM because it's not purely self-serving. Yeah, I mean, you've been there. I've been with, hi, how are you? Just catching up. Yeah, no, just kind of like, yeah, have you got any jobs? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's often just so thinly veiled yeah. <laughs> that uh, that it, it, it's a rubbish call to make their lousy calls or contacts to receive as well. You, know? yeah. you change your model, don't you, in these kind of signs? I mean, it's not, I've been through other recessions before, and obviously we recognize this one isn't the same, but, but I've been through other ones before. And it, you change your, I changed my goal out of calls, if you like. So I wouldn't be necessarily going in there for a job at the point of that, or even to build a, the, the point to the fact I was even remotely going to get a job. But I'd go in there with something like, okay, I'm going to speak to this person. I'm going to try and out of this call, I'm going to get one or two little bits of information about who they are, what sports teams are they like potentially. I'm going to go for something like that. I'm going to go for, you know, do they play golf? Do they play football? Do they play rugby? I'm trying to get an understanding of who they are and how I can relate to them in future. And building those relationships at that stage and maybe giving them just a little case study on, on what you found in the market or something like that. And just go, look, thanks for your time. What I'll do now is just send you over this document that I put together. It's based on my conversations like this one that I just pulled together some information that I think is useful to people in your particular Role, and that's leave them with that go into the call with a different mindset because if you can 100%. come back to those touch points then you can go back to them on linkedin later and say how did you get on with my document was there any use to you and you can build a kind of a, a rapport and just build that network of touch points a lot of the problems with recruiters we come back to the point before about talking to clients is we build these things up in our own mind that this is a difficult thing to do i can't call somebody because it's gonna what happens if but actually if you build yourself those little crutches and those if you like, those support groups around, okay, I've got, this is what I'm going to go for this call. I'm going to talk to them about this. And I've got this piece of documentation that I can give them as a result of it. Right, okay, now I've got my call framed. I'm going to do the call now. Because if you're just calling up with no information and no background and no nothing, it comes across, you invariably go back to that point about being sub submissive. You go back to that submissive consultant and she goes, oh, hello, um, hello. I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, I'm calling you because I've got reason to call you. I'm a consultant. I know what I'm talking about. I'm in the market and I know that you're potentially not recruiting at the moment, but I'm going to talk to you about this yeah. so that when you do start recruiting again, I'm the one that you think about, oh, hold on, that guy, 
who called me, that lady that called me from that company, they were really they impressed me. I'll give them a shout and see what three three quick observations off the back yeah. of it. Firstly, it's that long-termism. Yeah. And it's thinking, okay, I'm not putting in a call now to do the one call close and pick up the job. Mm. I'm seeing this as a start point in a number of different contacts with somebody. Secondly, the value that you flagged there of like those valuing those small wins, mm. where you know, I had a decent chat with them. They returned my call. They they read the email, you know, really value those at the moment because mm. there's not as many big wins as there were. Yeah. And if you focus purely on the big wins, frankly, you're going to drive yourself crazy with BB <laughs> yeah. in, in any market and particularly yeah. in the current market. Yeah. Uh, and then thirdly, whenever we're training on BD at the moment, we're trying to encourage people to put together a, a genuine contact strategy. Mm. So with your, whether it's eight or 10 or 12 or five or whatever contacts, plan them out. If I'm going to try and sell to mid-managers within, uh, I don't know, medical device sales, for argument's sake, here's the five, six contacts I'm consistently going to make to different people. Firstly, I'll like some, you know, I'll, I'll comment on one of their posts on LinkedIn. Secondly, it's a LinkedIn request. Thirdly, I'm going to ping them a quick DM, but just with a little bit of uh, an update or report. Hmm. Fourth thing I'll look to do is send them a message or drop them an email, which ju- just introduces me and my services. Fifth or sixth thing, I might get to a stage where I try and do some selling. But if you can build a contact strategy where the selling sort of only happens where you've earned the right, hmm. the other way in which I think that helps the recruiter is they start to see that all of those, those earlier business development phases, if you like, there's nothing in those where you're kind of exposing yourself to rejection. Yeah. If I'm contacting someone to share a report for argument's sake with them, I'm not exposing myself to I'm not asking them for anything. So yeah. not, no, get lost. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I heard this and I thought of you, wanted to pass in this on to you. You're not exposing yourself to the same rejection. And when you do come to then, you know, let's have a chat about your hiring plans for the future, whatever else it might be. Hopefully there's enough of a relationship in the bank that the mm. conversation is not as awkward as it might otherwise be. And you give yourself a better chance of getting that conversion. Certainly than the guy who's just you know, blindly picking up the phone or pinging out emails, yeah. hoping for a, a bite on a candidate they're specking or, you know, yeah. I'm a recruiter, just calling to introduce myself. By the way, have you got anything for me? Yeah. It's, it's just too self-serving. And like with anything, in any walk of life, really, you're trying to set yourself apart from the others. You're not trying to, you know, the, the person that stands out is the one that does that little bit different. You don't have to be the Usain Bolt of sprinters. You don't have to be the guy that's sort of, or the girl that's so far ahead of everybody else to just stand out a mile away. You just need to be the one that looks a bit different to the rest, that kind of that stands out a little bit. In a market of an average market, if you like, you just need to be the one that's a little bit better. And if you're the one that's a little bit better in your space, you're going to stand out. There's massive opportunity in that, isn't there? To think, do you know what? I only need to do things slightly differently. I'm going to stand out from a huge number of people, a huge percentage of my competitors. And fundamentally, that difference will hopefully come in your message and the way you work and the way you operate, those kind of things. But I'll just track back to that multi-channel bit. Whilst the message is key critical, I do think the medium helps to differentiate. So if we work on the basis of kind of what you were saying, if if we accept that as kind of fact for, for, for the time being, if everyone's pinging out DMs through LinkedIn, use a different medium. Yeah, And that's part of the irony for me, picking up the phone there's a novelty value to that because people are not doing it. Using yeah. voice notes on LinkedIn, novelty value. Pinging yeah. a video message to a prospect, novelty value. Yeah. Even back in the day, we used to post things to people. No one does that anymore. You yeah. could argue there's a novelty value. Yeah. And if you've got that novelty value through the medium, what you're yeah. trying to do is give yourself a better chance of them actually accessing the message. That, for me, is where, where some of the value lies. You know, differentiate the message and the offering, but if you differentiate the channel that you use, the medium used to get it to them, you, you're giving yourself a better chance of actually getting some engagement. Absolutely. And that's all out there. And, and the thing is, we can learn from other people. So you go on LinkedIn and you see what other people are doing and you go, OK, well, I can take from that. I'll learn from that. Oh, somebody's just dropped me a message 
they sent me a voice note on LinkedIn. Wow, I wonder if I could work that for my my businesses. Or, but there are ways and means to stand out. You just have to look at them and look at those multi channels you've got in front of you. All those different options, and use your own vision making processes to go. Okay, that one works. Absolutely, I'll use that one and that one, and then also test them. That that measuring point you, you mentioned almost a throwaway thing, Adrian. You know, you'd like to think it was an absolute. That of, of course we measure the number of emails we send out and the open rate and the read rate and the click-through rate and those kind of things. Of course, when we send out 20 voice notes, we record how many have gone out, how many have been <laughs> open. How many. People don't. No. And if, if they're measured, you start yeah. to determine which are going to be most effective for yeah. you. The CRMs and some of the, the data systems, they're brilliant, you know? Yeah. They can log all of this. I would hope that the sales cycle, the BD cycle, starts to become as data-driven as it would be in SaaS or as, you know, a good mm. good recruiter through their recruitment process knows all their metrics. Yeah. They know their interview placement ratio, CV to interview ratio, they, they, and it helps them determine how much they need to do. Should be exactly the same with your, your marketing, your sales, and, and, and your business development right now, that's for sure. Yeah, the, the, one, one of the quick thing, Adrian, when you're saying about, you know, so much to see on LinkedIn, you're absolutely right. And that, that strikes me as another big change since the likes of us would have started in the industry when you know, if you were lucky, you went on a training course in your first few weeks, yeah. and then you you would hope you'd be sat by someone who was half decent that you could learn from. <laughs> in, in sincerity, going back yeah. 10, 20 years, yeah. can you imagine an environment where you could listen to a podcast like this? Yeah. Look on LinkedIn, you could go be in a mentor group. You can, mm. there's so many opportunities for people to develop now. And that the people who are new to the recruitment industry, they'll take all that for granted because they, they won't know anything different. Yeah. Whereas there'll be the old timers like us saying, this is amazing. Why the bloody hell are you not signing up for podcasts? Yeah. If, if we'd have had this, you know, yeah. but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it does bring us on nightly where you see the future going, because obviously that's the kind of the next stage. Now, hope, how do you see the future of, of recruitment, I suppose, but also the sort of coaching training programs going in future? What is the difference between coaching and training from your point of view? Well, yeah, absolutely. So that part first, yeah, I just think there's way more opportunities for people to develop. There's a risk that you view it as competition, and it just isn't. It's hmm. it's loads of different ways of trying to help recruiters do their job better. Yeah. And from my perspective, the more people access that and get interested in developing their careers, the better it is. But yeah, that that distinction between training and coaching is is a huge one. And you know, we've had conversations with clients in the past where they're they're sort of coming to us to say, you know, can you come in and do a day's training on X Y Z? We're much better than we used to be, I think, at some of what we could do, but you don't need training there. You, you need to do some coaching. Mm. You know, and you could use an external coach, but you're probably much better off doing that internally. And to my mind, managers can do that, directors can do that, owners can do that. And in many cases, I think, particularly when, when you've got experienced teams who maybe don't need as much training as, you know, when you're bringing in new starters, you know, if you think about training as the event, coaching should be something which we instill as part of our process internally, yeah. developing and growing so that it, it becomes, you know, development becomes a cultural thing rather than go on a two-day course with this guy. Yeah. But the ability for managers in particular, I think, to coach is, is critical. And if, you, if you're going to do some training, you're just as well doing some training with managers so mm. they can learn how to coach, yeah. and then it starts to drive the culture. In terms of the future of recruitment generally, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that's, a, that's a whole different podcast, I think, that one. <laughs> who, who knows? But the, the, the last 12 months, I do think have been a massive accelerant of change. Mm. I've not seen any in the last 12 months which has been absolutely revelatory or necessarily hugely surprising, but I do think changes which otherwise might have taken four or five years have you know it's accelerated yeah. that whether it's moved towards you know more retained or exclusive work sharper going back to bd being a bit sharper about bd and measuring and monitoring and utilizing mm. uh, different channels 
I've mentioned to a few people, I've posted about it last week. I do think the recruitment industry globally is just ripe for some form of disruptive yeah. event. So I don't think there's been anything particularly disruptive in recruitment since maybe the rise of job boards 20 years ago. And that, that for me is a maybe. I do think there's, it, that it's right for change because I think there's so many elements of it which don't really work for anyone, any party concerned. Yeah. But there's been a tendency to just kind of tweak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this isn't yeah. perfect, so I'm going to tweak it. I'll tweak it and I'll, I'll call it disruptive because it'll look yeah. good in marketing. Yeah. But no one's disrupted the market, mm. you know? no. Maybe it's fundamentally changed it in the way that Uber or... I think there's a subscription model of sorts in there where candidates and clients, they won't be called candidates, but your talent pool and hiring companies are charged for access to a service. And that charge is irrespective of whether people get jobs or not. I I think there's a model in there somewhere. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be worked out. But that's the big picture change that, that I would see. But I think that gives us a really good picture. One of the other things is going back to your point, just um, something you brought up there about coaching and training and things like that. One of the, my big beliefs at the moment, and one of the things I've been talking about with a few people, is this idea of taking control of your own training program, so or coaching program for that matter. So if you're a consultant or an individual out there in the market, whether you're working for a big agency or a small agency, decide to work on your own or whatever. You know, my belief is you take a look at your own skills and you go, okay, where can I? Where do I feel I'm not confident enough? And then look out into the market and try and find, you know, podcasts that are out there or LinkedIn posts or things out there that you can pick to train yourself and also reach out to training companies. You know, the idea of somebody coming to you as a consultant and saying, right, I'd like to have somebody that can either coach me or train me on some of these bits. The problem with the training, as we both know, is it's one of those spends that gets decimated the moment the company's under, under pressure. But if you're a consultant and you're trying to think about your career... Just sit there and go, well, how do I develop? Where am I going to get to? What do I need to do? And then reach out to people and say, look, I'd like some help, whether that's by way of free things like podcasts or whether that's actually going and saying to somebody, here's some of my hard-earned money. Can you train me or can you coach me on this? You know, reach out to people and doing myself out of a job, particularly at an individual level. Look to all the stuff you write. Look to all the stuff that's there because there's so much that's there. Mm. Uh, and one of the quick tips, particularly before you kind of reach out to you know, to spend money with a coach or a trainer, take that self-responsibility. Hmm. Um, if you're doing client or candidate contact and using Zoom and you've got permission to record sessions, no one likes doing it. Play back some of those sessions. You, hmm. You'll be your own worst critic. Yeah. You'd learn, you know, back in the day when you used to play back calls and that kind of thing, but yeah, that, that kind of stuff you will learn loads from. And if you yeah. do that and you learn bits and pieces and you still want to refine it, then maybe reach out to a coach or a trainer or whatever else. But yeah. there's loads you can do yourself. And like I so said, there's, there's so much resource there now which simply wasn't there Mm. 10 15 Absolutely. 20 years ago yeah definitely well Dave thank you very much for that that's been really useful hopefully there's some really good ideas there for people to take away and, and using their own businesses my final piece to you is what one bit of advice would you give somebody today if they're trying to get to a million pound year well it, it, it's going to be a really evasive answer because it'll depend what you're doing right now well yeah but if we work on the basis that it's someone who knows the job and is doing okay and is ticking over don't put yourself under pressure to do a million quid 2020 and potentially 2021 because there's a lot outside of your control. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but yeah. The, the one thing I, I would encourage any recruiter who's, who's billing and is doing okay and really wants to grow their billing, you know, double it, get a 250, 300, 500 million pound. It seems like, you know, if you're a hundred grand billing, you want to be a million pound billing, you've got to get 10 times as good. You don't. Mm. million pound billers 500 grand billers you know 500 grand guys not five times as good as the 100 grand guy yeah they're marginally better at lots and lots of different things Absolutely. so i suppose in, in distilling that best advice i give don't get daunted by the fact you want to double your billing or triple your billing consciously every single day look at tiny marginal gains little winning edges Absolutely. little things you can seek to improve 
So if you listen to a million pound bill and making a sales call, same mechanics as everyone else, they'll do every single element of it marginally better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's one of my big things as well. So, well, thank you very much, Dave. Can they find you? They can find you on LinkedIn. Can find me on LinkedIn. My mobile's number's on there if anybody wants to start cold calling me. There we go. You're going to get calls now, aren't you? To see how, my, how, how many people are listening to my podcast, to see how many people are calling you. But brilliant. Thank you very much again for the time. It's been really good. No bother at all. Cheers, Adrian. So I hope you enjoyed listening to that. And I'm sure you got some really good ideas out of it from, from Dave. If you want to hit me up on social media, I'm at Million Pound Biller in all the usual social media places. If you like this interview and the other podcasts we do, it would be great if you could hit a review up on the place you get your podcasts. And if you could mention us to other people, that'd be even better. Anyway, look forward to hearing from you and speaking to you in the next podcast, which will be our Coffee Rate podcast later this week. Thanks for your time.